everyone wanted to intro you to a very special episode with Neville Medora of Copywriting Course. Neville had me on his program to talk about SEO, content marketing, the ADA formula, freshness distance, how to do outreach, the ins and outs of our process. It was a wide ranging, very entertaining conversation. Neville is a great boisterous character and really smart copywriter as well, which made for a great wide ranging conversation. And we thought worth including here on our feed. So I hope you enjoy it. If you like it, please drop us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Copywriting Course and Ross Hudgens. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So uh, I really wanted Ross Hudgens on here because he runs Siege Media and they're literally the only SEO company I recommend people to because I get that a lot. Uh, what SEO company should I use? And I'm like, well, most companies I know don't actually have any SEO traffic themselves and most of their clients don't. So I can't in full faith recommend that. Yours does. And for really big companies. So you handle like medium to large size companies like Zillow, Shutterfly, Airbnb, Intuit, Casper, ZipRecruiter, way more. Um, Ross's company has been on the Inc. 5000 list for the last four years in a row. Correct. Pretty awesome. Um, and the reason I like Ross is that he does SEO that gets uh, results for clients, of course, but like at scale. So th that seems really hard to do at scale. And most crucially, I've seen your actual work and it's actually legit good. Thank you. Like uh, that's <laughs> always the problem. Yes. Send you a check after. Exactly. Me. We'll go into that. But like that's a, a crucial difference between you and a lot of companies I've seen where I see their work and I'm like, mm, yeah, this Not is real hacky stuff. So um I think the last time I visited you had like 60 employees or something like that. Yeah, we're actually 85 now. Whoa. Okay. And you've got offices in San Diego, New York, Austin, and I assume remote all over the place yeah, now. Exactly. Cool, man. It so thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's hard to find good SEO people, like, as you know, yeah, very secretive industry. And you're one of the few people that openly talks about it. And that's good at it. I mean, I hope the world has changed a little bit that people are a little more open because it definitely was a black box of shadiness for a while. But I think it's increasingly that's less and less of that stuff is working. Um, but I, I try to be transparent and not everyone shares what they do, which still surprises me. But. Well, I mean, in a way, it's a little bit of a zero sum game, right? Like there's only like one number one spot. Like, isn't that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you I don't want to tell all your tricks sometimes, right? Yeah, I get I, I always am of the mind. I'm like, no one's going to out execute. It's really execution. You know, like you put in so much work over like 10 plus years now. I mean, how like that's 10 years of work to build brands. Uh, design, SEO, good copy, the outreach piece, all of these like tying together. So much complexity that good luck to those people because <laughs> you got to execute. Um, and we were, we were even lucky to be early in that process and you start building a moat. So closer, um, closer. Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, let's stop, start off with the basics of SEO. So a lot of people come to us uh, when they're writing content and they're saying, like, how do we rank? So we obviously have to teach people what SEO is. And ultimately, I've, I've been doing this for 20 plus years before it's called SEO. And it's kind of like, <laughs> it's, it's down to this like half sentence. It's you make really good content and get lots of links and attention to it. Is that kind of it? Yeah, our tagline for our show on YouTube is content and links for that reason. Okay. It's, it's definitely not it, but that's a very basic if you could do those two things pretty well, you're gonna you're a lot of the way there. You've shortened it down to three words. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of people, they read a lot of these blogs and stuff. And of course, there's like a bazillion like ranking factors. You know, everyone's like, Google has like 3,000 ranking factors. There's like meta tags, (laughs) description tags, title tags, page speed, read time, mobile friendliness, all that crap. Is there like a 90-10 rule where it's like 90% of the results come from like 10% of the effort? I hear that sometimes. I do think with search, you can have a high hit rate if you're executing pretty well. There's definitely something to... If your title tag is completely off, you're just not going to rank. But I do think with like if you have quality content and you I think one thing people very often get wrong is the user intent of a search. So if you if you're searching for something like copywriting software and you're or you want to rank for best copywriting software and you're uh, someone who sells that most people actually want a roundup from a unbiased third party like probably Siege because we don't sell a copywriting software, but people will not understand that and they just will have no chance of ranking. So if they have quality content that solves and they can understand that and solve for that, that I feel like that carries a lot of the weight and you can tweak a lot of those other solve smaller things over time. But but those things like usually people's title tags and stuff are not like way off, right? Like if you if you have a standard WordPress install and you say copywriting software, you make that as the title <laughs> and you write a roundup of the 10 best copywriting softwares or whatever. Right. Like out of the box, I feel like almost everything is done, right? SEO-wise, like technically. Yeah, in a way, right. It's really not a differentiating factor. But there are people that are getting, are good at like optimizing for click-through rate and being more efficient from that way. But it's not going to be a major, major win for you. But there are some things like, if I see your site, I trust you, I'm more likely to click you from a click-through rate standpoint because I recognize that brand. If I'm searching for car insurance, and I see Geico, that's technically in the title tag and that helps them rank, if that makes sense. And it's going to yeah. be a factor towards that. Huh. I mean, I remember reading Google's originally page rank algorithm back mm-hmm. in the day, Sergey Brin and, and, yeah. and his co-founder were, were doing that, Larry Page. And it was brilliantly simple how they just basically used links to see who was who on the internet. And this is in, I don't know, 1995 or something right. along those lines. I think it's still relatively similar. There are more ranking factors like they they kind of have Google Analytics installed everywhere. So mm-hmm. they know that, okay, this person is reading much longer on this page versus that page. Those are factors. But if you get a ton of links across the web pointing to copywriting software, even if your, your article is labeled abcdefg.html, you might link if everyone's pointing there, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it's very possible. I guess the consideration set is people will take that advice and then get like a ton of spammy links back to them. Mm-hmm. And Google is now better at solving for that messy middle of knowing when people are doing that. Oh, but they that was their big innovation back in the day that that they knew your reputation based up because like if you have some spammy site that no one else is linking to, then right exactly but some people are faking that they understand how to throw up fake websites and fake blogs in order to to recreate page rank Um, and that's the black box we talked about i mean we used i used to use like alta vista back in the day right like (laughs) like that kind of like dog pile remember i know i'm that's pre me actually i feel like i'm old school yeah i mean i used to use those types of things and then google came along and kind of eliminated a lot of the stuff because if you want to rank number one on dogpile.com back in the day for copywriting software, you just write copywriting software, copywriting software, copywriting software. And so long as you have more mentions in the meta tag or the page, like you won. It was that simple. Yeah, that was the, uh, there was a lot of opportunity in that time. But also searchers engines were so bad that like no one You could manipulate the heck out of them. Well, you wouldn't even use them as much because they were just garbage. Just manipulated. Yeah. I missed that period that, that 
the sweet days where a lot of money was. But made. but here's here's the one thing I tell people when they're focusing on these little tactics. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, and I'm sure you see this all the time. Every time you figure out some little loophole that like, oh, Google hasn't figured this out. It's just countdown until like that's closed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I really feel we don't think that way. It's really like improve the quality of your website, improve the quality of the content on a per page basis. And yeah, there's like little hacks and things like that, but it's it's not that interesting to me anymore, honestly, because of brand Google just getting smarter and smarter. And I used to be that guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like your white hat person. I bought a ton of links 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, but now it just doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Well, it, it also, I don't think it works. Also, it kind of, it could kind of backfire mm -hmm. against you too. It, it definitely can. I know there are people that are doing it effectively, but going back to like the scale thing, I think about our team and just operationally, someone not making a mistake at our size, buying links and putting our client brands at risk, especially when you're like playing with bigger brands, you don't want to be buying links for a public company because you get them penalized. Good luck paying back that lawsuit kind of thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's not a good time. I, I, I try to think of sites that I like to read something like wait, but why? Like, you know, that site. They write, I haven't seen that. actually. It, it's not about anything specifically, but they'll write a, a really in-depth uh, article about Elon Musk or Starlink okay. or something along the mm -hmm. lines that takes them months to make. Right. And because they spent so much time just focusing on that content, they rank number one for all those things. Um, and they spend literally no time doing SEO and stuff. It's just there's that much attention going to that article and links that they rank number one. Like I like that. And yeah, forever yeah. they will rank number one for a long period of time because they focused on the content, not the little hacky little things here and there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's a ton of sites like that that just walk into those efforts and reap the rewards of it. Um, and so a lot of those sites will actually, SEOs will identify them and they'll go out and buy those sites because they have so many links and they're not paying attention to what power they have. They uh, don't realize it. And then they can go use that for their own deceiving or uh, their own traffic in uh, more monetized ways. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting distinction. Uh, so I do copywriting, like we've always talked about, it's more a little bit more salesy, like 70% content, 30% sales. And then you do more content marketing. And we've had this discussion before that I described copywriting. You're like, <laughs> I mean, isn't that content marketing? I'm like, whatever. Like, what do you, do you just think those two are different? Uh, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, I'd be definitely curious to hear your opinion on this, but I would almost define it as copywriting is like almost more dense as compared to content marketing like i think of copywriting is like you're you're so in the depth over every single word and more so is on bottom funnel pages i would say as well like mm -hmm. the most valuable pages the landing pages on your website i feel like that's copywriting more as compared to a four thousand word blog post but there's also some contradictions of that where you see i see a brian dean and you read one of his posts and you feel like he is like or he's thought deeply about every single sentence and word on his site. And that's commendable. I don't know that in every context that is necessary, but that's kind of how I think about it. It's like, I see copywriting is more dense on a per word basis and more valuable on a per word basis. And content marketing still has elements of that, but a little less. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, what do you think about it? I think content marketing is strictly that you're putting stuff out in the ether on a social network or on a website and that you're trying to like, you're like a light trying to attract flies to it. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you're like, hey, come click on me. And then like 1% of those people might subscribe to you or whatever percentage. And then perhaps in the future they'll buy. Right. That's content marketing. So stuff you create, put out there and then people come to it. 
I think copywriting is often uh, outreaching to other people. So like cold emails. Okay. So we'll be talking about that because I know you do that a lot. Um, cold emails, mm. ads, stuff like that, that people lit- aren't necessarily coming to you for that. Um, and Gosh, also like I think copywriting ads. is more in terms of getting them to take some specific action. Okay. Um, so buying something right. is usually the ultimate goal of copywriting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Whereas just like general content marketing, I guess is kind of like brand awareness and stuff sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we 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 try to use like uh, we t- we talk about the I know we have that in common the ADA formula. Like I I can try to we try to train our team to use that for even long form blog posts. Like those first couple sentences are hyper hyper critical to keep someone's attention, and then you want to have them ten- eventually take action, even on a top funnel piece. And how do you go about getting them to do that? Uh, obviously, it's a lot longer of a process, but uh, I think there are some definitely overlap in some ways. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that. So speaking of ADA, um, ADA's attention, interest, desire, action, this common copywriting, uh, like marketing formula. Um, I know y'all use it heavily for outreach. So I think half the battle of your company is just reaching out to other places and being like, Hey, we made this great piece of content. Will y'all link it or look at it? Right. Right. And so I'm assuming y'all send out tons of cold emails. A good number. Yes. I wouldn't tons makes it sound like a spam machine, but we send a good number of emails, yeah. So it's like, are they very personalized or maybe some of the secret sauce? I no, no, so. I, is, I would be a lot, contradicting myself. But they're very custom, custom tailored, personalized. Uh, so we don't, we see that someone has shared something similar to what we're pitching them. And mm. that, so if we see they've shared a third party uh, copywriting checklist, we pitch them a copywriting checklist, or maybe it's like a copywriting template or copywriting formula uh, download or printable or something like that. That's relevant. They shared another third party source about copywriting. We know they have high intent to share ours. So that feels that's not that spammy because they're open to these third part third party um, pitches. Mm. That. And that's what that's how we kind of identify and pitch people. Oh, that's interesting that you're okay. So you're targeting them like that. I've just seen so many people that just like have this giant list and they'll just send out like hundreds of emails a day. I actually had someone do that once and like day two, I was like, dude, you gotta stop this. This yeah, is yeah. this is this is literally just spamming people. Exactly. And I think that goes back to the brand risk point of view, even not buying links. Uh, we if we were representing a big brand and pitching five hundred people uh spammy email that could eventually end up in the verge or something i've seen there are there are examples of seos getting outed for shitty spammy outreach all the time um more so biden buying links but yeah it's not in in general i want to do good marketing and i don't want to do something that um represents us or our clients poorly this is uh i don't know if you actually know this number but uh what percentage of these emails that you reach out to people actually get read or open do you have stats or anything yeah uh in terms of reply rate a good reply rate is in a 20 percent range replies yeah damn yeah so conversion rate will be five to eight ish percent good eight we've had high a higher and up in the 10 percent range again it comes down to very custom tailored emails so i'm sure in some instances maybe we could get more outcomes if we sent 200 more spammy emails, but there's a cost benefit equation to that. Wow. So that's, that's amazing. Okay. So you're really doing your research on who you're sending. Exactly. To. It's very tailored cut. We have high, very high intent um, when we're pitching them or we don't pitch them. 
So are you spending more time figuring out who to send the email to rather than just writing the email? Because the email is probably super short. Prospecting is definitely high intensity. So we spend around 60, we scope around 16 hours to send 100-ish emails. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. yeah so y'all, okay. That's, damn, that's serious. Yeah. And we're working off a templated email that's customized to a degree around 20% of it, but it's high prospecting. And I've heard of some companies like us who will like, silo those activities, but something about just prospecting on the fly and having the context of Neville has shared copywriting resources like this. Mm-hmm. I can understand the site and looking at it quickly. It just feels makes makes sense to us to connect those. Wow. Now, um, I know we've talked about Ada and I've seen the the emails y'all make and they're, yeah. they're really good and personal and sent from personal addresses and stuff like that. Um, what kind of emails have you noticed work best? Like the short one, the medium ones, the really long ones? We really go short consistently. Um, There's some tests that show longer ones work, but just for the cold pitches where we're coming at you without much previous context and you just got to grab your attention quickly, just a very quick uh, one paragraph uh, link call action subject line that mentions their name and then what they're going to get. That's been pretty effective for us over time. And it's hard to get statistical significance in what we do because we talked about we send around 100 emails. So it's it's difficult to truly A-B test that. But so in some ways, we're going off instinct, but um, it's worked over time. Uh, I mean, we redo so many emails for companies and get to see the results. Mm-hmm. And it's like every single time the shortest email wins. Yeah, I, I'd be curious almost to know, every single is there almost like a... Is that getting more and more so the case? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. For, okay. We're talking specifically cold emails, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. For specifically cold emails, the ultra short ones. And get this. I mean, I'm talking. So there's like short emails, what we were thinking about, like one yeah. paragraph of text. <laughs> then there's like the micro email where okay. it's like nine words or less. So I remember wow. uh, Amen. And here's the thing. It's a little bit harder to do sometimes. So for you to ask for a link. I think you have to have a little, maybe about a more paragraph. context. Yeah. There has to be more context as you're talking about them. You've seen their stuff. There's more stuff to jam in there. I remember Eamon from AppSumo. He, he's the CEO of AppSumo. Yeah. He would send this email to, let's say a software company that they like to promote a deal mm-hmm. if they want to do a deal with them. He'd reach out just with Eamon at sumo.com or something. <laughs> and it would say, Hey, we want to promote you to our 750,000 people. Good dash Amen. No, no phone number, no like Calendly link, no nothing. And of course, like they'd always respond back like, hell yeah, of course. Well, that's the ultimate A and attention right there. He grabs it immediately. And he had the credibility to pull that off. Exactly. Like they probably already knew who Sumo was. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot going behind the scenes. So not everyone can pull that off. But if you could do a micro email like that, I mean, sometimes that works really, really well. Yeah. And we like where it's possible, we've done it less and less because we have existing relationships. So we don't want to be pitching cold if we don't have to. But mm-hmm. if you're pitching from at Airbnb.com, that's kind of a similar instance where you have you will get better open rates from Airbnb.com than SiegeMedia.com. I think I, I once got like a, a pitch from someone at a HubSpot or some some mm-hmm. very high ranking site. And they're like, want to do a collab? Question mark. And I was like, that's a great email because <laughs> I, I know I know that yeah. it's from like a big company. Right. And of course, I want that link. So yeah. I was like, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Just and it totally worked. Effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I almost I almost view some of those emails. Tell me if this is the same way you view it as like a cold email. I'm like, OK, forget what's in it. Forget the ADA formula. I almost view it as like a, a tap on the shoulder to like 100 people that you're sending to. It's like, hey, uh, are you interested? 
you interested? Just, hey. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a, hey, check us out. Give me 10 minutes of your time. Blah, blah, blah. It's a it's a real, just tap on the shoulder. Is, is see if they turn around, basically. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. some of them will be instantly interested. Uh, most probably won't. And, and some are just never going to talk. Yeah, to and it's an important time investment equation where you don't want to give you don't want to be given a uh, an essay to someone who's not going to turn around when you tap them on the shoulder. Yeah. Um, let's go into the content side. So right now we're talking about outreach, but then you're linking them and being like, hey, you want to link this thing X, whatever it is, a email template, a blog post, a download, something like that. Right. OK, so making good stuff, making good content is hard. Like yes. it's, it's really hard, especially as everyone's caught onto the jig that like, oh, organic search <laughs> is awesome, right? Yes. It's like you get these forever returns. So every, the, the level has increased. It's like this arms race to make something better. For sure. So how are you doing this with like so many different clients? You've got like 85 people working with you. Like, how are you doing this at, at, at scale? There's only a handful of amazing places. Like I, I know like Nerd Wallet, HubSpot that do content at scale really well, where the content's actually like pretty good. Like you actually read it and you're like, yeah, that's a pretty good post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, how, how long does it take you to write like one piece of content like that? So, I mean, we start off at a minimum of 18 hours dedicated per post. Wow. Uh, almost, we rarely will even use that interval of time. We'll actually do 36 hours on average is the low end where we call it's like keyword driven posts where distribution is built in via search volume, but we're not doing any outreach based on the market. So 36 hours, and that's blended time between designers, writers, copy editor, uh, manager who's like looking over it. So long story, yeah, at least 30, at least a week generally. And that's when you have multiple skill sets involved to get to depth. So I mean, you're talking about there's like SEO people, planning people, writing people, images people, video people, technical people, uploading it to an actual website, animation people, people doing the promotion. Like how many people are involved in like a single piece of content? It can be uh, as high as 10 people, uh, probably not on a two year, wow. uh, that, that eight, eight, 36 hour posts, to be fair. In that one, it's more like two people or four on average, but you'll have soft touches from other people. If you have something that's interactive, uh, the copy editing side definitely can get upwards of 10. Um, in terms of the many touch points of the manager, the strategy people, we ideate with as a group. So we're getting to the best idea as a group of like five and six. And yeah, it compounds. And I, that is one of the things we're selling is like you're getting 10 people per piece of content not just one writer you can get off Upper. This is what I want people to know that like sometimes <laughs> when people are like, oh, but HubSpot just puts out a blog post. I'm like, no, there's like a lot of people, like well-paid people, trained yeah. people, good people around the world working on this one, what you consider like tiny little blog post. Yeah, I mean, I think in a component we're increasingly thinking about, and I don't think many people spend as much time and effort on this, it's the UX design of their blog. Mm -hmm. I know HubSpot has a very elegant, fast-loading um, great user experience on their content framework that allows them to accomplish scale because they might not need as much design on a per post basis because that framework looks so good. And that might cost them $50,000 to execute and design well and be on brand. But once that cost is done, now they have 3,000 posts that they can put in that framework and rank for everything, if that makes sense. As compared to like Joe Schmo blogger who just does a WordPress install, maybe throws his logo on there, but it still loads slowly. 
the sidebar doesn't look great. It doesn't look custom, et cetera. Yeah, that that UX component of it mm. is really, really important. I learned CSS to kind of like update my blog and I, I know it to like a degree. Right. And it really helps just with the readability. For I sure. actually just recently put out a request to get even more help with it. But the the good blogs out there, I mean, they've got like top end designers, uh, you know, thinking about the typography, the spacing, everything. It's it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, and you think about, I, I use the same word, I feel like phrase a lot, it's like the sunk cost differentiator. It's like you're... We're here in a set that's like very nice and that's not many people are going to be willing to invest in that in terms of a set and things like that. But same with the UX design people, some people are willing to spend 30,000 on their UX design. Some people are only willing to spend three, but that time to ROI will come a lot, lot faster. And sometimes it won't come at all if you're only spending three. Damn. Well, so speaking of like kind of a little more technical side, um, do you use any tools for SEO, there's a lot of SEO tool talk and everything. What's your what's your stack? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty boring. Uh, I love Ahrefs. Ahrefs is like the go-to. Honestly, we also use Moz to find some additional links. They there was a recent study that actually showed they do apparently the best job in terms of pure link discovery. That's good for us in the agency standpoint where we want to show the client everything we did. If you're in-house, it might not be as important to find every single link that exists. So maybe you could just use HRS for your keyword research, competitive research, link research, all those good things. We use SEMrush too as just another competitive research backup plan. Um, Hunter for email finding. Buzzstream is kind of our CRM for outreach, digital PR. So our team all does database management within that. And I recommend that, especially if you're trying to accomplish scale and have lots of people. You don't want to be emailing HubSpot five times from um, your Siege Media accounts, or they'll quickly blacklist you. Yeah. So that sounds like a pretty simple like technology stack. It's yeah, not yeah. That complex. I mean, I remember asking you that question before, and you just said like, I guess just Ahrefs. Yeah, I mean that's that's really ninety percent of the heavy lifting. But Buzzstream is a huge component as well in terms of a database management for for outreach. Nice Ahrefs, like the standard now. Uh, shout out yeah. Tim Sulo. Hey. Yeah, yeah, he's the man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, one interesting thing we always talk about, we have like a members forum where we help people redo their content and stuff. And of course, I'll screen share my Ahrefs screen and they're like, oh, how do I get that? And I'm like, well, it's pretty pricey. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. So it makes sense for me to buy it. I don't know if it makes sense for you to buy it. So what I've always showed them is this other free uh, SEO tool. And it's completely free. It's called uh, Google. And uh, <laughs> nice. dude, Google is so it's cool. So, good, yeah. so type in whatever term you want. I don't know, copywriting software, whatever you want. We're just using that example. Scroll all the way to the bottom and it shows you all the results. And now it'll often show you the similar searches like right in the top. Yeah. It's like you can find the user intent by just looking at the uh, Google results. For sure. Yeah, especially for the big terms. If you if you can use, depends on your sophistication, but if you, if you can understand the short tail keyword like copywriting software, mm. you probably can infer what the big term is. And maybe as a tip for copywriters who are searching, if you search something that feels like the main way someone might search something like copywriting tools, and then you look at the search and you see all the titles are saying something that not exactly copywriting tools, but something slightly different, that probably means that is probably the biggest keyword or term and maybe lean into that instead. So like an example of that might be like copywriting software 2020 or some, or like, I don't know better, like copywriting. I know like if you, you, if you type in, if you type in the local result, like plumbers, 
Right. It's not going to be like how to become a plumber. It's going to be a like plumber's Austin, plumber's San exactly. Diego, yeah, plumber's yeah. New York. So that's the hint. So you're just like, oh, they're going for local results. People are looking. This user intent is looking for a specific plumber in a specific geographic location. Right. Exactly. So you instantly know that. And that is a free tool called Google. You just scroll <laughs> to the bottom and it shows 10 different results that are the most common after that. Yeah. And uh, we use that hugely. I talked about Budstream, but for our prospecting, almost all of that is through Google. My our theory, and I think is, I don't want to call it fact, but basically fact, if you're finding the sites that link to you through Google, pretty good chance Google values those websites. So in turn, they should value those links from those websites if you can get links from them. So we do all our prospecting for people to link to us via Google. Um, Almost all of it. How long does it typically take to rank something? I know it's a newbie question, but I'll just pose it to you because I'm sure your clients ask you that sometimes. As a very general ballpark, if you're a brand new website and it's a competitive industry, if you invest heavily, 12 months, I think it's feasible. If you're really, really good from a strategic standpoint. If you have existing authority, let's say your DR, in most spaces, let's say your domain ranking is HRS number, domain authority, uh, Moz's number. In the 50-ish range, you probably can, if you're sophisticated in your strategy, six months, I think very feasibly, you can get some results if you're doing things correctly from that. You're like, you're not so, so far behind, but you're behind. I think that's feasible. So most often we're saying six months, you'll start seeing the, 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 the anchor move around months three to four, and then it accelerates. I will normally say like, you'll see the hockey stick grow month six plus for that kind of client. And we do have those existing clients that are six, six months range where you really see that growth. Wow. So, I mean, content marketing, clearly kind of a commitment. Yeah, for sure. And there's spaces like if you're trying to start from scratch in insurance, you're not going to rank for car insurance, home insurance, life insurance. That could be two years. So, so, uh, okay. So clearly content marketing is kind of a, a bit of a commitment, right? And there's, I think there's one secret thing of all the, the, there's a lot of these like underground SEOs that people don't know. They're not very public about their stuff. Yeah. I'm sure you know some people are like killing it and like they've got zero Twitter followers. They don't talk about anything. Right. For sure. Yeah. And they're, they're really good, right? Really great content. No, And, and weird industries. Like yeah. They don't, they don't want to be public. Random industries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not like so- best software, best VPNs or anything like that. They're, they're talking about like a real straight, like Traeger grill reviews or something like that. Like, yeah. I think of uh, Pat Flynn. I haven't followed him as much recently, but he had like a truck website. I remember we like publicly talked about it, mm-hmm. but he immediately put a bullseye on his, on his stomach yeah. of every single SEO or affiliate saw, Oh, this was a lucrative niche for like something random and then mm-hmm. he saw a ton of copycat stuff pop up so there's real danger to, to speaking about anything oh like i that. mean i started doing e-commerce and that was my main yeah. strategy for getting people i had a, a rave company and i would talk <laughs> about it openly stupidly when i was like in college but oh man it's so easy to rank for these things and yeah. of course so my site was called house of rave and then you hear like home of rave.com prop up or something <laughs> like that yeah you check and the, the guy would you check your email like he did like have emailed you before and stuff like that yeah like, they they know what's up um but uh, but redoing and improving content seems to be a similar thread through all those people. So I know a lot of SEOs and like literally 80% of their job, I'd say, is just kind of going and redoing articles, which sounds boring as <laughs> whatever, but it is kind of the secret sauce. Yeah, uh, or killing it, killing oh. content. I think that's increasingly as we're getting hmm. more mature, as you kind of talked on, one of the things we do for some clients who come in is content audits. It's 
you look at them and you look at what kind of pages have no traffic or no links that are old and they have no other value to you, you could in many instances just four or four of those pages and your other pages will lift because those aren't doing anything for you. And it's kind of like an equation of links against the number of pages on your site. But updating is for sure an equation too. Like one of the things we recommend is looking at the search results. And if you see everything has been updated, again, we keep talking copywriting software, the dates I'll say in the last month, you should aim to be in the top 25 percentile of that to be competitive because users probably are showing, hey, I want modern copywriting software. I'm more likely to click you because you clearly are more likely to have the most updated content. But there are spaces like how to garden or something. You'll see articles that are like the spread on the search result is like four years. Mm. So you don't necessarily need to update all day and all night. That doesn't hurt to be up modern, but it's not as important as like iPhone 12. Uh, reviews or something like that, which will probably be 24 hours or less. And you want to, what are your thoughts on the current trend of like modern gardening techniques updated 2020? Spammy is, uh, I mean, you can typically tell depending on. Well, here's the thing. It kind of works, right? It depends on the space. I I think Google is kind of showing you that it might not in some of those instances. And there is a brand piece of that equation that you're, see if you're i mean i i market to marketers Mm -hmm. so if i use that technique i'm going to turn off enterprise customers by doing that i'm not saying the gardeners will do that it might be effective there but there's just something if you land on that page and i've had that happen you land and you actually see there's some shears that are outdated or something Mm -hmm. or the old product you lose brand or like affinity for that company so use that sparingly i think people overuse that and I think that's increasingly the recommendation now is you can't, you shouldn't even like go and just quickly update the date. You need to do a full, like I call it a quality assurance sweep. Like mm-hmm. what really deeply look at this, make real changes in order to justify changing that date. Because Google is also getting smarter. I've, I've seen sites that um, change the date like almost programmatically and more and more of those sites are just getting dinged. And it not, seems like a not, tactic that'll go away. Yeah, I think point. it already kind of has, honestly. Yeah, there was a phase where it was super, super abused. I remember Viper Chill even wrote an article about it, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Shout out to Glenn. Yeah, and now I don't think you see it as often where literally the top five, top 10 results are like literally all 24, past 24 hours. Because I was seeing it for a short period of time where like everything was like updated 2020, updated mid 2020, updated post pandemic, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Some of that stuff I actually think like maybe could work a little bit if, but for the most part, yeah. it seems like a tactic that will get uh, axed. I remember remember the whole clickbait phase we went through in 2012, 13 of like, you will, best uh, farming trick, you won't believe what he does, dot, 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 right. dot. <laughs> it's very grabby, but you do not see those anymore because they are essentially eliminated from any sort of search results, social or organic results. Yeah, agreed. Any, it's and gone. That's kind of my default with any strategies. If it feels dirty, don't do it. Like today you see Great people advice. with these like FAQ things under search results that to me don't make sense in context long-term for those search results to so just have a random, people also ask question thing. You might've seen it, but that I, we don't, I don't personally recommend that to clients because it doesn't actually make sense. And it shows up, but it doesn't make sense. In, so I have concerns about the long-term viability. Uh, one thing I always tell people is just like, look, SEO, like the technical side of it is to help the computer. So if you're going for copywriting software, if your thing is called, you know, ross.com slash copywriting dash right. software, that helps Google say, okay, we're pretty sure this is about copywriting <laughs> software. 
And then if your title says that in there too, they'll be like, okay, we're really almost sure that this is about copywriting software. But you that stuff is for the computer. That stuff is for robots. The actual content should be for humans. If humans consume your content really well, then the robot will be happy, right? Yes, agreed, agreed. Yeah. And increasingly you can't solve, those are just like the very basic things. Uh, and it's solving for the humans is our part. So, so going back to the redoing and improving content topic, is that something y'all do frequently? Like, is, is there like a period of time? Like after 12 months, you're like, okay, we got to go and re-update it or anything? Yeah, I, kind of going back to, I call it, we have an article on our website uh, called, I call it freshness distance. It's like, what is the distance on the search result between those mm. dates? So that should tell you how often you need to update something. So you don't want to just update just to update it. But if you're feeling outdated on that search result, that's one way of doing that. We definitely do it for old posts, especially for ones that are highly, highly effective for us. And we know they're competitive. We'll preemptively say, let's do a refresh of this article, maybe get new stats, new data. So we will do that probably in the 12 months plus range for a campaign. We'll start thinking about refreshes. Hmm. Uh, so I, I recently changed my domain from copywriting course with K's which I loved, but for certain reasons we had to get rid of to okay. copywriting course with C's. Um, whenever you start saying stuff like the copywriting course community and uh, they're all with K's, oh, you can imagine so where this goes. It gets a little bit dicey. Yeah, and it's actually been a problem. So anyways, we changed domains. So um, I'm not really worried about, we had good SEO before and we kind of had to like let that trail off while we made the domain change. Have you ever had, because you do this at scale, is there a fun way to go redo content? Have you ever thought about that? My, because it sounds like a very boring task sometimes. <laughs> my my idea of fun these days is the it's is the UX redesigns <laughs> of the whole site. It's not it's not like on the per page basis. It's like how can we blanket ten x maybe ten x is a strong word, but like five x improve what this site is doing. So on a per post basis, it's a little harder. Of course, you have so many illustrations to things like that. So if you updated your blog design as well and did something different, you'd probably have to wholesale go change everything. So that's that actually stops a lot of people from ever doing redesigns. But um, I don't have a great answer for you there other than that. Well, well what about this? I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> I was going to think about, so I like this idea of like collaborative copy. Okay. We've done a lot of surveys on the site. Uh, so we're putting up uh, a bunch of freeway signs right now in San Francisco for a guy's gym. Okay. So, yeah, we, we're just like, this would be a fun experiment. So we like out source that to the crowd to see what he should say on the signs, right? Okay. So it was just more fun to involve other people, the the the, the mind of the crowd rather than just, uh, you know, a couple of us. So I was just like, I wonder if there's a way to do like collaborative copy for going through each post and like updating or like a core content month review. I don't know. I was trying to make it fun, but it just sounds like y'all do this. After no, I mean, I, and... I think those are good strategies at scale for our clients. It's a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. But like in your situation, I I, I do love the strategy of including people socially and then changing it. That's a built in distribution network. I see it all the time where people will like run a survey. We'd love to include your opinions on this post on social. Some influencers see that they contribute, then you update the post, you can now reach out to those people. It's built in distribution mechanism. That's very simple and effective, super effective. Yeah. And it's not like spammy ego being like, I was the best copywriter. It's you contributed to this post in a useful way. Yeah. I had uh, Nomadic Matt in here. He mm. runs like a huge travel yeah. site. 
And he was talking, they have like 2000 plus posts. And for travel, you definitely need to be updating all the time because like hostels go in and out of business all the time. And in today's world, too, yeah. especially yeah. with what's going on in the world Everything's today. Updated, bro. So, so I remember I got like almost like anxiety thinking about updating 2000 posts about travel. I was like, oh my God, you have to yeah. do this. He's oh, like wow. 80% of our time spent writing just updating posts. Yeah, I mean, at certain, at certain thresholds too, some verticals, there's only 200 posts. Like mm. if, I've, I think of, I, I one thing that comes to the top of mind is referral software. It's like this company, I forget the name of it actually, but it, basically they made it easier for people to refer that business, almost like an affiliate mm-hmm. thing for businesses. But there's only so many topics around referral software. It's like referral marketing ideas, referral marketing. How to do referral. Yeah, there's like 20. So you want to make those absolutely amazing. And that was the strategy. It's like, go super big, make this defensible, and then just update those. But if you're in wedding, you're the not. There's thousands upon thousands of posts. It might be a little harder, but at least those are evergreen. So it might be a little more accessible. Over time, you got to make those changes. Cool. And so one interesting thing is um, the content. I'm sure you heard the term content mill. Content mill just means like a place that just cranks (laughs) out content. Um, so we did this experiment a long time ago, uh, a couple of years ago, where we got a bunch of people on Fiverr to write articles for five bucks a piece, okay. on, like every writing topic under the sun. And we, we openly published this. We're just like, yo, this site's going to get real spammy for a second. <laughs> and, and so we're, we got all these people to do it <laughs> at scale. I, I, I wasn't involved in any of them. I didn't edit any of them. I didn't do anything. They were all uploaded automatically. So we had 50 posts in like what we called a glossary, right? And in the first like six weeks or something, nothing happened at all. And I was like, well, I just wasted several hundred dollars. You know, that was nothing. But then two years later, you find these like random articles that just start peaking and getting a lot of traffic out of nowhere. Um, They're not necessarily the most related. So it's not like they like bring in tons of business, but they do bring in some search traffic. What are your thoughts on these these content mills and playing that game of like put out 150 posts, maybe two will hit? Uh, It's it's high risk because it can bring out it can bring down the rest of the site mm. in a way like those other things are weighing against other elements. So that could work. But if you have a very lucrative other page, you're putting that at risk, trying to get two winners there. I think you could throw up a hypothetical site and do that and test it. And maybe you make some money off the ads, AdSense or something like that around certain topical silos. And I think I've heard of some of those behind the scenes, people doing that in mm-hmm. terms of like throwing up a shitty site on certain topics seeing what sticks and what sort of starts ranking and then double down on that. Um, that's not a terrible strategy. I do think today Google's smarter and if you're just trying to wing ranking for something without topical expertise. Uh, good luck long-term. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, some of those things like kind of panned out a little bit and we kept those posts, but overall it just felt like a weird strategy to like do. It felt and, like a little bit gaming the system. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, I think that is almost... Uh, way of probably not it is luck it's almost like luck spraying prey and you happen to hit on something low competition is most likely what's happening there mm-hmm. you and i that happens all the time with random websites you hear the stories oh i rank for this stupid uh completely non-relevant keyword that is like porn related it's probably you just hit on some non-competitive thing which probably isn't that, but you hit on that and then it starts ranking and that's just probably pure luck. But that is one outcome that can happen when you have an authoritative site. Well, we we also found that the, the articles that ranked really well is what we call, I guess, like high school content. 
It's like high school kids okay. looking up like, what is a th- th- glossary or what is a thesaurus? Like random little search terms like that, so, that they get traffic, but it's just like, ultimately it, it doesn't bring us any business or the right audience. So it's kind of like, uh, I'm not sure if that's even really worth it. Which sounds exactly that. That sounds non because no one monetized it, can really monetize it most likely. That's probably why it's not competitive. Mm. That's why you rank for it. That, it's not universally true, but more often than not. Yeah, theoretically, ultimately, Google will probably just answer their question of like, what is this? Like, a, it's like a dictionary question. So that'll. Yeah, they they can. There are some. In, we One thing we didn't touch on that we've been doing more of recently is like those things can attract links over time, depending on the concept, probably in elementary school stuff, not as much. But if you're like in cybersecurity and it's a what is blank topic, mm-hmm. people will grab that definition and link to it on their website. Mm. So increasingly, we're trying to show up in searches like that where someone might grab a data point like what is the cost to remodel my kitchen it's twenty thousand dollars they'll find the reference point linked to you so you as an engine could find that and aim to rank for that and that could power your site from a link standpoint so that's more and more what we're doing today like what is the ideal blog post blog post link that would be something in my maybe you already have that article but you have the authority to rank on probably could attract like 300, 400 links over time just from ran- someone randomly finding that and quick answer and linking to you. So it's not the best strategy, but it's a strategy. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> it's it's a thing. Like Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I will say there is something about just like spending a lot of time on one great piece of work that I th- one that you're, I think you just naturally feel proud of. Yeah. That's actually helpful. And one, I've noticed like one good blog post can return for like five years. And I'm talking like actual clients that you want, uh, get signups, emails, subscribes, your social channels. All it's like one good blog post can really go a hell of a long way. So I prefer to like work on that kind of stuff because it's just more interesting in my opinion. Yeah, in in evergreen for sure. We go, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. We're generally thinking it's it's okay if you got to update stuff. Um, but with that in mind that you're, you're going to build towards a hero piece. So it's always so a good thing to do. Let, let's switch gears a little bit to talk about uh, social media. So SEO long for the longest time, especially in the early days of the internet, like you go to google.com, type in whatever you want, look at the first results, click that. That's how you discovered things. Now there are these things called, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, all that <laughs> kind of stuff that it's almost like the content finds you. Like I'll, I'll open up Instagram or TikTok or something like that and just mindlessly scroll and see something and be like, oh, what's that website? Like it, it's almost like a new form of discovery. What do you think uh, of the influence of that? Does it take away from Google or is it still, is it all related? Yeah, and that's an interesting observation. I almost, I almost wonder if that's like a new way of like trivia collection. It's like, we're getting hit with like just miscellaneous facts that we might have <laughs> cared, cared to Google and discover. And maybe in some ways it replaced a future action because we thought of it in some way. Mm. But I bet it wouldn't like net net, you're still going to have that time and searches might go up for some of those things. But that it is interesting to think about that. Um, but one of the one of the goals is SEO is like things that probably have high search volume. If you randomly find that on Twitter and you're interested in, again, copywriting about that ideal blog post length, you probably stop and you like that. You might even link to it. And that's going to help your SEO kind of the side of the equation. Um, so like connecting those things is worth, like I, 
if I know someone searches for it and I have an interested social media audience, probably a good chance they're going to like that when I share it on social too. I, I, it used to be kind of like, remember social media when it first came out was like, oh, the joke was like, oh, sharing what you had for breakfast. Yeah. And then people realized, <laughs> wait a second, you could communicate a thought to potentially the whole world right away for free. Like, this is a pretty cool thing. So then, of course, like, you know, marketers kind of ruin it. Gary Vaynerchuk quote, marketers ruin everything of like they start put, posting their business stuff and offers and everything on there. But right. the thing is, it works. Uh, people sell stuff on Instagram. People do make a lot of money on TikTok. People make a lot of money in, in, on YouTube. So um, it almost see it like if you have a really good article, you kind of break it up into a bunch of different social pieces. Right. So you're, you're uh, your best best uh, uh, copywriting software thing. You could actually break that up into a slideshow on Instagram or make it a tweet. Or something like that. It's almost like a natural extension of that content. And it's got like a, there's a main piece of content and a little fingerlings going out there on all the different social networks. And speak, I mean, Gary, Gary, I think he called that. I don't know if he debuted that model, but called it like, I think it's the Gary Vaynerchuk content model or something. He has a great deck. Basically, he makes one hero piece of content and he'll get like 300 pieces of content from that hero piece. Oh, yeah. He definitely like I don't know if he started it, but he was definitely one of the first one to kind of like coin to market it and talk yeah, about it. Yeah. And I know that deck that you're talking about yeah. is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, yeah it's great. Uh, is that something you'll do with content now? We do. Uh, we haven't pushed it as hard. It is. I think this is one of those interesting pushes and pulls where it depends on how deep you go on some things. I find I even get weird anxiety as a social media marketer if I overshare like you feel a second thing dwindle in the terms of en the engagement you get. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like sharing a second piece of the of the same content, maybe this is just me overthinking it. You get less engagement and then I'm like, oh, is this going to eventually dwindle to zero because I'm now sharing something that's less effective? I think in his case, if he's sharing a keynote that got like 400,000 views, that makes sense. So, the, But there's probably levels of like my content is getting a thousand very targeted B2B viewers that doesn't cut up very nicely down to 20. If that makes sense. Like I'm probably going to, people are going to stop caring as much while his super epic piece. The whole, I, probably the proof is in the pudding that people will care and more segments of the, the market will care about pieces of that. Also, like if, if someone's searching for a specific thing, the user intent is very high. Whereas they see it as a random feed while they're, you know, sitting on the toilet. Right. It's just like not as, you know, they're not <laughs> as don't engaged. Like yeah. they'll, they'll see it, they'll like it maybe, but the intent, I don't know, isn't, isn't all that strong. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But the cool part is it, it's it's kind of free exposure, which is interesting. So for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I actually think, I don't know if I probably should check and maybe this is why this is top of mind as well. I think our video, I cut one piece up of it, a few pieces up for it, and it did rank for some random long tail keywords. So I'm probably, I yeah, stopped doing I, it as much, but. Are you are you doing that? I remember we did a long form interview on Siege Media, mm. and um, and then you cut it up. At, and there was a, a section called Ada Formula. Yeah, and I had a video on Ada Formula, but yours was filmed in much better quality, and so I actually linked that on an Ada post. And I think, I think that, it ranks on Google for Ada Formula. I know actually. it does. It does Ada really model. well. Yeah, I looked yeah. it up, and I, I see I see my face and nice. your face. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that strategy works. So there you go. Talk, I, yeah, yeah. I guess so. That is a smart way of applying it. For yeah. Sure. Um, so that would be an, a natural segue into uh, YouTube strategy. We got a few more minutes over here. Um, so y'all do some awesome videos on Siege Media, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. It's 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 actually really good. I almost actually can't believe your channel isn't bigger. Um, I'm always surprised at the quality. <laughs> and and one of my one of my friends who is an SEO person, 
um, one of those like unnamed killing it, but like no one knows who he is okay. kind of people. Uh, we always talk about your channel and we're just like, I don't know why this doesn't have more subscribers. This is some good stuff. Like you'll have Pep Laja from uh, CXL yeah, yeah. on there and like you have pretty good conversations. You have a lot of your own people telling like exactly how their job is done, which is like pretty rare. Um, is the amount of time you spend on making these YouTube videos, because uh, you'll do like some high quality production. Thank um, you. Is, is it worth it? I think so. I mean, uh, in terms, of, sometimes it's hard to measure, but you see it in the lead requests. Like we're growing pretty nicely. If you think about the fact we could only have 50 viewers on a video. One of those is a qualified buyer that we really speak to with a targeted message. They'll spend lifetime. They could spend lifetime $300,000 with us. Wow. So just th that ROI equation is very clear. I do sometimes think that, and we probably could go deeper in terms of like growing the channel, but I kind of touched on one of the things I thought of um, when I saw that question on what you're going to bring up is I do think with some things is, yeah, we could have like very like markety thumbnails and titles and stuff like that. But at the same time, I would feel hurt inside of me to do that as a marketer, <laughs> marketing to marketers. And there's probably a middle ground where we could grow our channel more by not doing that. But I almost, it is weird that as a marketer, marketing to marketers, you can't do A plus marketing <laughs> or you're doing more like F marketing. That makes sense? Yeah. For depending on, on the audience set. So in some ways, I think our channel could be bigger, but I don't hate where we are and I know it's driving ROI. But us. like the few thousand subscribers you have are probably extraordinarily high quality. You probably have exactly. like Rand Fishkin subscribe to you. Yeah, B2B marketers who yeah. are purchase decision makers. Uh, well, that's what there's always like a bit of yeah. cognitive, dissonance, cognitive dissonance uh, with your channel because I've mentioned your channel to a couple of people. They're like, oh, I subscribe. And it's like a high level person. But then uh -huh. some some nobody doesn't know who you are, even if they're sort of interested in SEO. So so maybe that's a, a pretty genius thing. Your, your, your audience is very high quality. Hopefully, yes. Nice. If you're in our audience, you are high quality. Oh, well, well, I'm subscribed to you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so that kind of answers my question about videos. I mean, I think it, it is like one of those things where, uh, yeah, one person can have that huge LTV. And you could turn them off by doing the wrong strategy. So yeah. it is worth Seven considering Seven SEO that, strategies yeah. for, yeah. I do. You see that? I think there's this natural, in for anyone in whatever their market is, you feel like you need to have 100,000 subscribers, but mm. it's all industry specific it's, it's okay i don't know if smart. there's a i don't know if one way is better or another because i know mm -hmm. like someone like neil patel I, I think uh brian dean they do the more generalized yeah, yeah. seo videos that are pretty in-depth but also for, kind of for newbies um so like that's also one way to do it and i don't yeah. know if there's any better way or not yeah it's interesting. yeah there's multiple ways for sure yeah um and last couple of questions uh local seo this is a big one because we get a lot of people that have physical stores and of course right now uh with what's going on in the world like everyone's going online and they'll they'll be like a plumber or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're like, well, I looked up the search terms. Apparently, how to become a plumber is a big term. Should I write an article on that? And I'm like, okay, brand new newbie to the internet. Like, one, it's unlikely you're going to rank for that really quick. Two, and I'm sure you have like total amount of expertise for it. And three, really, what they're looking for is just dominating the local results. Um, is that something y'all delve in, or are y'all more? Oh, we, we have a few clients who do local, normally like more national local, to be honest. My quick take on that, I, I don't know if the query how to become a plumber, but there's some things like, say, mortgage calculator and your local mortgage 
agent or something mm -hmm. like that, you're never going to rank for a mortgage calculator. But there is a general user need for things like that on your website that you can consider as well as like, you probably should still have that as a general content play, even locally. So that's a consideration outside of your ability to rank it for it. Hmm. Yeah, we, I mean, we've done it with restaurants and small little shops and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And honestly, uh, with, with local SEO, it's almost like a whole different game. It's more like it's more like a Yelp index rather than a Google search result, because all all they do is if they update the hours yeah. on the thing, they put in <laughs> proper title, their proper address, their phone numbers, um, a couple of pictures that always goes to help and get a couple of friends to leave reviews. Um, that's pretty much pretty all you good. really need to kind of dominate some of those local local listings. You don't have to do too much more than that. Yeah, just get review volume and and constantly yeah, update your pro reviews every month. Just update. make sure your your hours and stuff are yeah. are updated. It's it's actually pretty interesting. Um, I think we're towards the end of our time here, but um, let's see. What, what do you think like the future of SEO is? Is it going to change at all? Do you see any? Have you seen any massive changes since when you started versus now or? I think one of the things you touched on at the very beginning is increasingly the case is just the latter effect of quality. It's like harder and harder. The time to ROI is going to get longer and longer as it gets more competitive. And it'll feel like I can throw up an article on what is copywriting and rank tomorrow, but the time to get there is going to be long, just really far out. So I don't think fundamentally how you do it will change much. It'll just be the quality barrier is higher than ever. Mm -hmm. every year that passes it's because increasingly someone sees someone ranking one, they say, I have to be better than that person. They do it better. Next month, someone else has got to beat that person. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the race continues. The race continues. <laughs> and uh, well, that's good for your company too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get, one of our values as a company is strive to be better. And I, that's fundamentally, I think we have to do that to survive. Nice. Where can people find you? And y'all have any products that, Tell people about SEO and all that stuff or what? Yeah, we have, uh, I mean, check out our YouTube channel, subscribe. I'll link that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have a content marketing course, which we use to train our own team. Did it scratch your own itch? So check that out. But uh, find, find us on Twitter, me on Twitter, and happy to share all, all of our dirty secrets there. Cool. And, and if anyone's going to ask me about an SEO recommendation, it's you. That's It's, it's pretty much Siege Media. That's, that's <laughs> the only you. company I recommend that I have like experience Besides with that actually does. Yeah. Otherwise, thanks. So awesome. Uh, Ross Hudgens, thanks. Thanks, everyone. It's been Copywriting Course. I hope you learned something interesting. I thought this was a really fun conversation. Yeah. I uh, tried to pack it into about an hour. So thanks, Ross Hudgens. And uh, check out his stuff. And we'll uh, talk to you later. Yeah. Take thanks care. for having me.